We have been on the topic of love, that love is greater than hate. And I don't know where you're at in that whole uh, shakeup uh, of that. I hope that it has disturbed you some. I hope it has challenged you some uh, to just understand love a little bit deeper and wider. And that's kind of where we've been the past uh, last week and this week is understanding love in a deep and wide kind of fashion. Uh, I don't know about you, if you've loved anybody, if you've been loved by anybody, you realize sometimes that love is sweet and sometimes love is sour. Uh, It costs nothing to love someone. At the same time, it probably will cost you everything uh, to love them. Um, You feel good with love and then sometimes love makes you feel bad. And so what's the deal? Love heals all wounds, we say. At the same time, love tends to cause a lot of wounds. Or those that we love tend to cause a lot of wounds. Love is finite, and it's, it's limited in nature in, in what it can do. But at the same time, it's infinite on how long it can go. So love is this mysterious paradox that we live in. And uh, to be very frank, I think we have... Uh, been quite confused for a long time in what love is and what love is not. Uh, Tina Turner in her, in her uh, famous song is it's just a secondhand emotion. Uh, that's all. Anybody sings with hair like that, I mean, you've got you to gotta love them, right? Uh, what's love got to do with it? It's just a secondhand emotion. If that's all love is, it's just a secondhand emotion. I really don't have any time for that. I don't want leftover, warmed up kind of love. That's not, I don't think, the full depth and breadth of what love can be. Love is the difference between life and death. Think about that. Love is the difference between life and death. If we don't love, I think we are living in a constant state of death. And if we choose love and figure out what love is, then it gives us life and it gives life to others. It's a life extension. Uh, And I think biblical basis for this would be First John chapter 3, verse 14. And we're going to be in chapter 3, we're going to be in chapter 4, we're going to be coming back and forth today. But let's just look at just one verse for just a second. Whoever does not love abides in hate, lives in hate, resides in hate. Hate resides in them. If we don't figure out what love is in not that secondhand emotion kind of love, but if we don't figure out what real love is, then I think we are going to be held captive to, shackled to, lost in our own life, pursuing love. But hate, in my understanding of it, leads to death and bondage and anger and and separation while love at the same time takes the course in a different direction, gives life and truth and light. It is not something that is hidden in dark. It is something that is brought into, brings us life and hope. Peter Scazzaro said it like this in a great book, The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He said, we recognize that loving well is the essence of true spirituality. And and emphasis here is not on love, it's loving well. If we don't get love right, then we can never connect on a spiritual level with who, who we are and who God is. And that, again, if you enter into this conversation about love as love originating from God. 
All right. Now, if you think a love, love originates in some kind of, again, emotional basis or just kind of some, something air, something mystical out there, then okay, then maybe it can exist. But I don't think we can truly live and I don't think we can truly connect with God until we have learned to love and been set free. Now, we talked about this last week, so hit review real quickly, just to kind of hit review on this. This is what we're talking about is kind of a Q2 kind of love, a quantity and quality kind of love. Last week, we talked about quality. There's a quality of love out there, and I think you know what that you you only have to have is two or three love relationships out there, and you realize that there's a quality of love. You don't love me like that other person did, or I love you more than this person. So we realize that there's different qualities. And when somebody says they love you, but they don't act like it, then you say, that's not love as I know it. So we know there's qualities of love. And that quality of love, it impacts us at a deep, deep level. And that quality of love is uh, what I want to look at is kind of the, the depth of love. But today I want us to talk about the quantity or the breadth of love and how it impacts how we relate to others. So if it impacts us deeply, then it should impact how we love others. Again, the breadth, the width, uh, the breadth and the depth of love is life-changing. Take, take one example for, uh, as an example. We hope in our society that we would love humanity, right? That we would be more human, that we would love humanity, and that we would get rid of the hate that we see and that, that is happening in our streets. How do we get there? I think about the Kitty Genevieve story that happened in New York City when just outside of her apartment, she was attacked, mugged, beaten in the alley next to her apartment uh, building and had, had everything that was of value stole off of her body. And when the police investigated the situation, this is all in the, you can Google this story, it's all out there. They interviewed, they found 38 witnesses and all of them came back with the same general reply. Why didn't you get in and help? Why didn't you do something? And they said, we didn't want to get involved. So what that tells me is that the quantity of love didn't go very far with those New Yorkers. Now, make it on New Yorkers. I like New York. But the quantity of love, uh, the quantity didn't go deep enough to impact the quality of love that they would reach beyond themselves. Now, they love themselves. We love ourselves. We have no problem with that. But how well do we love beyond ourselves? That's when we're talking about quality love, a quantity love, excuse me. And this quality, quality love that, that, that feeds out into quantity love where we love others is a spiritual deep down impact on, our, on, on ourselves to the point that some may even call it a reckless kind of love. Where you're loving people that you ought not love. But all the way through scriptures, it's the theme of scriptures. It's the essence of who God is. When he tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19, that we must love foreigners, aliens, people different from us. How easy is it for us to love somebody who's different than us, who thinks different than us, who lives differently than us, who doesn't believe what we believe, who's not educated like we're educated, who's on a different socioeconomic plane? Are we willing to cross lines? Will a Democrat love a Republican and a Republican love a Democrat? Now that will be heaven one day. Can we find love between the races? Can we find love between the liberals and the conservatives, the lesbians and the straights? 
Can we find love somewhere in the middle? Doesn't mean we have to agree with everything, but can love be a current, an undercurrent that goes, I don't think it can happen until we first of all have been impacted at the depth of who we are with a quality of love. We will not experience a quantity of love. Now just in review of last week, what was that quality of love that we talked about? Well, it's a shameless kind of love. Some people will love you to the point that I agree with you, to the point that we're on the same page. But a shameless love means I'm going to love you in spite of the brokenness in your life. That's the kind of love that God gives us. It's a shameless love. And we talked about, again, I cannot share last week's message. You'll have to go back and listen to it online if you want to hear it. But it's also an accepting kind of love because he doesn't shame us, because he then will turn around and accept us. How can he accept us? God's perfect. We're not perfect. How does he accept us? Unless there's something spiritual that happens inside of us. And that's what happens. And I refer back to this last week and week four and all that kind of stuff. Is First John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess... Our sins, He is faithful. Not, don't have to worry about us. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. The two activities of God, when we get right with God, when we agree with God about our life, our brokenness, our shame, our, our, our life, is He forgives and He cleanses. It's a beautiful thing that happens. That's why it's shameless love. That's why it's an accepting love. And then that's also why it's a freeing kind of love. It sets us free. Now, it's not free love. I talked about that last week. It's not free love. There's no boundaries. There's no, we, we, we go against the natural order of, of creation and we do it our own way and we think it our own way. No, 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 no. It's freeing from the brokenness of the past, from the shambles of love or from the, the, the shattered pieces of love, the fragments of love, the secondhand emotion love. We get free from that junk and we're free to live. And we're free to love across lines and across divisions. But it's also a righteous kind of love. It makes us right. We get on the right track. We can live a life of, of without regret. And again, I come back to what I said last week, is that God loves us where we are. He accepts us where we are. But he loves us enough not to leave us there. He loves us enough that he's not going to leave us in our brokenness and our, and our habits and our hangups. He's not going to leave us there. He's going to set us free. That's the quality of love that we operate from. Now, in that, we are coming to the core of the book of 1 John. If you were to dig down in the earth and you were to reach the center of the earth, you would come to the core. We're digging down and we are in the core of the belly of the, of the book of 1 John today in 1 John chapter 4. I have in my 17 years at Grace Point Church, I went online and went back through all of my files. I have manuscripts on my messages all the way back since I've been writing out manuscripts. And there have been at least five, five times in the past uh, 10 years that I have shared from this passage alone. So this has been a passage that has been a consistent message. It is so important that we get this down. And one of the phrases that, that, that is that a part of that epicenter of this, part of the core of this, is this little bitty phrase, three words. Are you ready for it? God is love. He mentions it in verse 
two different times in the verses. He mentions it in verse 8, and he mentions it in verse 16. So if you want to understand who God is, you want to notice the core and the essence of who God is, there it is. God is love. Now let's peel back that layers. Let's, let's, let's understand this quality love that should affect the quantity of who we love and how we love people beyond us that are different than in us and so forth. And when you come to the gospel writer of John, John has written only about four books in the, in the New Testament. He's the last apostle standing. Everyone else has passed away. This is about 100 AD. So we're talking about uh, everyone else has, has gone from the faith, have been martyred, most of them martyred for the faith. And John is alive and he is writing his last words. And in his last words, 10 different times, he will make one statement. 10 times, one statement. This one statement, Paul will only make three times. Peter will only make one time. And Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that one uh, negates the other. I'm just saying this. For John, this was a central message of his. Here it is. Love one another. I know that's not that profound, but if we don't have quality love, it's really hard to love one another, Right? He's he's not talking about loving yourself and taking care of yourself and and just love self. It's talking about loving one another 10 different times. And in the passage that we're going to read today, three of those 10 times are here. So this again is the core. This is the center. This is the the very essence of John's writing. Now, when you go through John, 1 John, you can see at times he's giving a defense for the faith and then he comes back and he talks about loving one another. And then he gives a defense for the faith and then he comes to talk about loving one another. So he's constantly going back and forth, but he's bringing about this theme. Now, let's go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. I want to read two verses. I want you to see this. John said, and there's a little nursery rhyme almost, or a little song that I sang growing up, and I'm not going to sing it to you, that we used to sing this. Some of y'all know it, and you'll sing it in your head when I, when I read this. Beloved, let us love one another. So when you, when you just stop right there. Beloved, let us love one another. He said, loved, hey, you're loved. And oh, by the way, because you're loved, I want you to understand that you've got a task out there. The task is to love one another. You're loved, so therefore you are to love one another. For love is from God. Where does love originate? Where is it, where is it birthed out of? It is birthed out of the very essence and core of who Jesus is or who God is. Think about that. Everything that veers off of that, that we call love, that veers off of the very core essence, untainted, unadulterated presence and core of who God is, is an adulterated kind of love. So God is our baseline, if you will, of what love is. For whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God. Because, say it with me, God is love. When you look at this passage, I I want us to just understand that God is calling us to love one another, but it's not just to love the lovables that are close to us. He's calling us to love one another that may be on the other side of the fence, that maybe have offended us, hurt us. It's going to at times seem as if he's calling us to some kind of reckless kind of love, some kind of dangerous, courageous kind of love. And that I think he is. But if we don't learn this, if we don't get to the very core and the essence of love is we're going to miss God, okay? 
We're going to miss God if we don't get to the very core. And that's the, the message paraphrases this verse, verse 8, this way. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God. So if we don't get love right, we're going to miss God. The best thing you understand about, about the way I understand love is to understand the very core essence of God. Let's talk about this reckless kind of love. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? What's it taste like? Love initiated. Love is initiated. Okay, I, I know we all have no problem probably loving people who love us, who are the first to extend the right hand, who are first to give the love act, whether that's love of time or love of gifts or love of words of affirmation or you know the five love languages. So we might receive love and respond with love, but are we the ones who are willing to initiate love? When you understand the core essence of God and you understand Him, you understand that He's an initiator of love. And therefore, we are to love like God loves, and so therefore, we're to be initiators of love. Now, I I was trying to think of an example of this. When I was growing up, I don't know about you, but when I went from elementary school to junior high, it was a big deal. Because I was now free from one classroom, one teacher, all the time. Nothing against that, okay, if you're an elementary teacher, okay. But I was glad to walk the hallways. I was, I was excited to change classrooms. I was excited when we had our first junior high dance. You know, you remember your first junior high dance? There wasn't much dancing went on, at mine anyway. I can remember, it was funny, we all got there, we all put on our best, and we all put on our, our old spice because that's what we wore in that day. And uh, we all went, and, and the guys are on this side of the room, and the ladies are on this side of the room, and we're looking across, and we're giggling back and forth, but nobody's dancing. Can I get a witness? Is that what happened in your junior high? Good. I, I thought mine was weird for a moment. But what are you doing? The girls are over there giggling, looking at the guys, wondering if this guy or that guy is going to be the first one to walk across the room and invite them out on the floor to dance. And the guys are over there going, I'm not going to do it. Are you going to do it? I'm not going to do it. And they're just looking at the pretty girls across the room. And it goes on and the music just plays. Now, it's a very safe dance. You can, you can certainly you see that. There's nothing, uh, no, no over contact going on. But uh, the, the point is, is that somebody has to walk across the room. Somebody has to initiate. Well, in this whole thing with God and man, God is the initiator. God walks across the room when he steps out of heaven and into time. He walks across the room to you and to me in our lives at some point in time. Maybe it's in a room like this. Maybe it's in our home, in, our, in the privacy of our own house. Maybe it's whenever we're at camp and we're studying the Word of God. Maybe we hear a message. I don't know. But God walks across the room and He touches us and He shows us and He speaks to us in a loving voice and He says, I love you. Would you be mine? And I know he does it because in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, which is a big verse for us around here, it says it like this. God shows his love. God walks across the room. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, that means we weren't following him, we didn't love him, we weren't interested in God, while we were still broken in our brokenness, he walked across the room and he died for us. Now that is incredible. 
That God took that initiative, not knowing when, but years, thousands of years before I would ever hear the name of Jesus and give that opportunity to respond to Jesus. Jesus was walking in on this earth so that he would initiate a love relationship with me. We have 508 lights out on the sign out there called Live Sent, and that signifies 508 for Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that we're praying that God would light up in the souls of people. And we've got two children this week uh, in, in the Paladinos and and in the Ansleys. And then and then just uh, just to this morning, uh, Jeff Linen, who works at full times at Tyson's, is right now on a global adventure in, in, in South Asia, led a, a young man to the Lord. And so I say he's working for, for, for the Lord. And it's just an incredible thing that we're seeing lights come on both here and around the world. That's awesome, guys. You can do that mm thing that, uh, that, that uh, Taylor was talking about. It's a good time for that. I love it when God turns the lights on the people like he did in little Peter this past week. Mom and dad have been praying for him. In fact, if you were here in strategy meeting Sunday back in June, Peter was one of the names on their alive for five. And since June, they've at least that long in that, at, at, at Camp Siloam. And, and then even to, he was doing the Advent Guide, this book right here, this past week. And he realized that he needed a relationship with Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. Listen, we all love John 3.16. You say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a beautiful verse. One of the first verses I memorized growing up. For God so loved the world, he initiated something. He did something initiating a relationship with me, initiating love with me. Now, that is beautiful. I love John 3.16, but do I live? First John 3.16. Because just as much as I have been loved by God, I have been called by God to go and initiate love. Look at 1 John 3, 16. If you look there, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for, uh, life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So I'm the one who's supposed to step into the time, step into people's lives, be a part of their story, and be a part of sharing the love of Christ in their story. I'm thankful for our mosaic ministry that we've had going for years and how 15 families in our church are either presently open, presently have foster children, or in process, or in whatever along the journey, the continuum of having children, some have had up to 20 children in their home. It's just been beautiful to see the love of Christ be expressed in, in children's lives who are coming from brokenness, who are receiving shameless, accepting, freeing, righteous love. And to realize that that is living out the life of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He adopted me. I'm stepping into time and space and I'm initiating love relationships, sharing the love of Christ. This Friday night, we're going to have our foster parents night. I invite you to make it a date night with your family and come and serve along beside and love children and initiate love with children, some who have not experienced it in an unconditional fashion. There's also love imagined. Love imagined. When you look at this, 
I think we need to understand that the narrative of love needs to be retold, needs to be reclaimed, first of all, needs to be filtered, needs to be cleansed, needs to be made right, because a lot of things that we call love and that are called love in this world are not love. They may be lust, they may be, they may be selfish gain, they may be, because you love me, you will do this for me, that's conditional love. If you love me, you will do this for me, that's conditional. There's a lot of things that call themselves love, but it's not love. It's not love. Don't, don't call it that. We need to reimagine what love is. Re-understand it. To, 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 to reimagine it, to have a new narrative, if you will. When you have a narrative, you have a narrator, right? Well, let me ask you a question. If you could have somebody narrate your life, who would you have? I would love Morgan Freeman to narrate my life. You know, that, I could fold clothes and that would be sexy and cool. I mean, that would just be the coolest thing. He could, he could narrate my life and even folding clothes would be a cool thing to do. So I, I wish that I could get that kind of narration. But what if God can narrate my love story? What if God was the writer of my love story? Because it's the essence of who he is. God is love. So why wouldn't I want him to narrate my love story? Because here's a life principle for you. Don't miss this. One's love capacity is limited to one's love exposure or experience. If you've only experienced this kind of love, guess what? You can only give that kind of love. But if you've experienced infinite kind of love, endless love, bottomless pit, unconditional love, you can give it away. But if this is all you got in your tank, is all you've been exposed to, that's all you can give away. We need a new narrative. We need to, this world needs to understand what love is. When Buddhism was founded by Gautama Buddha, he renounced his wife and family in search for inner peace. I'm sorry, but for me, I don't know that abandonment of my is the best model for love for me. Hinduism is a concept of love based on self-pity, on pity by God, that God pities, oh, I feel sorry for you, therefore I'm going to love you. That's, that doesn't sound like the kind of love that I'm interested in. Islam says that if you'll submit and you will do uh, a jihad or you'll do the, the laws or you will obey the Quran, then you might find favor with God. It's a conditional works kind of love. Judaism says that if, if, you, if you keep the 613 laws of the Torah, then you will earn your, the right to be loved by God. I know this because I've studied the face of the world. And why did I settle on Christ and Christianity? Because, because Christ loves me out of relationship and out of grace and out of his love. And I will choose that path over any of my performance paths any day of the week. Again, your capacity to love is based on your exposure and experience of love. So look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. That could be disturbing to you. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. Circle that word. We'll come back to that in a moment. Is perfected in us. 
So he makes this statement. He said, hey, listen, nobody's seen God. Seems like an odd statement. Kind of just throw that right in the middle there. But what he comes right back behind that. And he says, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So what happens then is the light comes on because the world looks not, they can't see God, but they can see us. In fact, that word seen there is the Greek word that we get our word theater from. So literally it's like watching a movie screen and seeing it happen out there. No one has seen seeing God. But if they look at us, they look at me, if they experience me, if they experience you, if they experience true love, then guess what? They've seen God. That's the beauty of of the kind of relationship that God wants with us. He wants to be a part of us so that our lives are changed, so that we can be a part of showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. And his beautiful narrative told is one of redemption. It's a redemptive story to be told. If you keep on going down a few more verses, we were in verse 12. Go to verse uh, 14. And when when we have seen, again, you see that word again. And when we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, just hang on to that phrase. To be the Savior of the world, whoever confesses. Now, he just, you guys and gals, you want to put the cookies on the bottom shelf? Here it is. You want to know how to have a personal relationship with God? Here it is. You want to know how to walk in to step into that love relationship with God? Here it is. Whoever, it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is. Again, it's a shameless kind of love that we have from God. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, What's God going to do? He's going to shun you. He's going to shame you. He's going to guilt you. He's going to throw you out like a sack of wasted human flesh. No. He's going to abide in you. He's going to become a part of you. He's going to take the broken up mess that we've created. He's going to make it right. God makes it right. He didn't make junk. He wants to redeem the junk that we have made. And I love it that he said, the Savior of the world. That's the scope of his love. It's not that he loves Northwest Arkansas more than he loves Afghanistan. It's not that he loves Arkansas more than he loves uh, the Athens, Greece, the refugees that we're trying to love on there. It's not that. He loves, he's the Savior of the entire world. The idea that, that, that Jesus carries that title is a very important theme because in the pastoral letters alone, 10 times Jesus is referred to as Savior. In Luke, four times Jesus is referred to as Savior in Luke and Acts. In, in Peter's writings, five different times Jesus is referred to as, a, as the Savior. We cannot get away from Jesus, but that he is the Savior of the world. We have in our room today the PVs who we support through you support through your offerings on a regular on a weekly basis that are in this room today. I don't even know where you're at. You're in this room somewhere, uh, but uh, we 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 support you and you are our missionaries to Japan and you're in this room and we love you. And where are you at, PVs? Are you here? I heard you were here. There you are, right back there by the soundboard. All right, be sure to say say hello to the PVs uh, before you leave today, because we're they're living on mission with God, and they are representing the Savior of the world. It's a redemptive story. But don't miss this. It's also a relational 
It's redemptive, but it's also relational. He wants to be in a relationship with us seven, 13 times, 13 times in John's writing. He uses this word abide. I've, I've referred to it the past several weeks. Why? Because John continues to use it. I can't skip over it. Abiding is that awareness and that alignment with God. We, we are aware of God and God is redeeming us and he's making us a part of his story as we're a part of his story. Look at, look at verse 13. He says, and I already mentioned verse, verse 12. He mentions it there, abides in us. Verse 13, by this we know that we, we abide in him and he in us. Again, he says the same thing because he has given us his spirit. I love this. Verse 16, skip down there. So, so, we have be, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. The second time he refers to God being love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. You can't get away from it. He's a part of us. He wants to be in a relationship with us. I heard a story of a little boy who was wanting a little puppy so badly. Saved up his money. Not much because he didn't make much. He saved up his money and he saw this guy on the side of the street that was selling dogs and, and uh, little puppies and they said $25 for the puppies. So he goes up to the man. He says, hey, can I, can I hold your puppies? He just wanted to hold one since he couldn't afford one. He wanted to hold one. So he sold, holds this little puppy and the guy just goes on about his little business. And he says, so how much are they? And he said, they're $25. And he said, oh, well, I have $2 and five cents, 50 cents. And he said, uh, I'm sorry, I, I, need, I need $25 for him. And uh, he said, well, can I pay you over time? He said, that's not how it really works. He said, so he just continued to play with the puppies. And he said, give me that one back over there in the corner. And it was one kind of limping around. And so he picks him up and hands him that little puppy. And it had kind of a bad leg. It was the run of the litter. And, and the guy actually intended to keep that puppy uh, because it was the runt. He was just letting him play with the other puppies before they all were sold off. And the little boy said, well, how much for this puppy? He said, oh, I'm not going to sell that puppy. I'm going to keep that puppy. He said, why? He said, you don't want that puppy. He says, he's got a bad leg. You would want one of these others. And he said, no. He says, I, I think I want this puppy. He said, no, 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 that puppy's going to need a lot more love and a lot more playing and a lot more attention. And the boy just takes down and raises up his pant leg and he shows him his prosthetic leg. He says, I want to love on that puppy because I think I can love on that puppy really good. And needless to say, the owner says, here, you can have the puppy. <laughs> you know, what Jesus did for us is he came out of time, out of space, and he put on flesh and he dwelt among us. And he walked with us. And he put on the pain. And he put on the sin. And he took our brokenness so that we could take his wholeness. He took our shame so we could take his freedom. He took our, our unrighteousness so that we could take his righteousness. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ, the scripture says. That's love imagined. Then there's love fearlessly. We need to understand that the kind and the quality of love and the vastness and the breadth of love, it, it takes us to love people that we wouldn't necessarily love. In fact, we don't want to love. 
If you've loved anybody for any length of time, you have been hurt, broken. Remember I said love is sweet and love is sour. Love, love doesn't cost you anything, but it costs you everything. You know that. You know that from experience. To love exposes you. Not to love hardens you. C.S. Lewis said it like this. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung, possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around the hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of selfishness. But in that casket of safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can perfectly be safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Love hurts. Love heals. And sometimes it's really hard to love, but when we talk about a depth of love that is shameless, that is accepting, that is freeing, that is, that is righteous kind of love, it enables us to love fearlessly. Look with me down at verse 18. Notice the times he says, fear and love, love and fear. Almost as if it's like oil and water, they don't mix. There is no fear in love, but perfect. That's the second time I want you to, uh, verse 17, he also has the word perfected. But here he says, in, uh, he says perfected love or perfect love. We'll come back to that in a moment. Cast out fear. Fear has Uh, has to do uh, with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected. Another time he uses the word perfected in love. Love and fear. I want us to come back and talk about the word perfected in a moment, but I want us to zero in on the word fear. It's the Greek word phobia. He uses it four times in one verse. Phobia, you know what phobia is. Phobia is that, is that, is that, that, that many plethora of different expressions for, for fear and, and out there. Phileophobia is the fear of love. Now you may even have that fear and not even be able to call it that. But how do you get past that? How is it that I can get past fear and love again when I've been hurt and made vulnerable and broken? How do you, how do you deal with that? You take what has been broken. How do, you, how do you prevent the flu? You take in flu. How do you prevent measles? You take in measles. And when you do that, you take in measles and you take in the flu, then all of a sudden your body builds up this strength and immunity to overcome. So how is it that I'm able to love in the, in the face of fear? Love. You meet the problem with the problem. Love. You face it head on. You love. And notice what happens in verse 18. Perfect love cast out fear. 
please note this. The mere fact that he says perfect love tells me that there's imperfect love. There's perfect love and perfect love. What it has this power to do is to set us free from the fears, from the brokenness, from the pain. And this word perfect is the Greek word teleos, which is so ironic that it is the same word that Jesus used when he died on the cross, demonstrating his love when he said, it is finished, it is perfect, it is complete. The way that we're going to defeat fear and brokenness in our world is by inoculating it with love. And how do we get there? Where is this magic needle, this magic toxin, this magic formula that we're able to take on? Verse 19, and I'm finished. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. In fact, read that with me. We love because he first loved us. I want us to make that very personal now. I want you to put the first person pronoun in there. I love because he first loved me. The only way you're going to have perfect love, the only way you're going to overcome the brokenness and the shame is to allow the love of God to penetrate your heart, redeem the brokenness, become a part of your relationship, rewrite the narrative of your soul, the narrative of love in your life. And you know what? He initiated it already. He is at the dance and he's walking across the room. And for some of you, he's walking right up to your heart right now. And I don't know who you are, but he's saying, are you going to accept my love? When you love, you're going to be able to love. Let's pray together. just in a moment of stillness. I want you to, to ask yourself a question. Do you know the God of love, the God who loved, the God who sent his son to love you? They're the same. If you don't, you miss so much. And your capacity to love anybody is limited to the the amount and the quality of love that you've received yourself. When you've experienced that love of Christ, it will forever change you. I want to pray and I want to tell you one more story. Father God, you know our hearts. Chase after us. As you sent your son, you were chasing after us. Bravely, courageously, some might even say recklessly. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a man by the name of Corey, a young man by the name of Corey, that eight years ago began to write a song. 
He did actually it took him three years to write the chords, the notes, the the poetry. But it was an eight year journey of his life. It actually was longer than that, but eight years is when he marks it. Because it was eight years ago that his son Gabriel was born. But let me tell you about his story growing up. He grew up in a home where his father loved on a very conditional basis. It wasn't, again, his dad was probably loving him at the level that he had been loved. And he had never experienced anything more than that. Anything greater than that, that's all he loved. That's all he had experienced. Until he was 19. And somewhere in the course of his life, he came across this message that I share with you today about the love of Christ. And it forever changed him. At 19. He became a follower. He was already outside of his home growing up. He became a follower of Christ and forever changed him. He grows up a little bit longer. He gets married. He gets married. He has his first child. His first child's born. His name is Gabriel. At that point, everything changed. He had only experienced this kind of love growing up. He experienced this kind of love with God. And then now he has his own child. And he's looking at his own child. There's nothing that this child could do that I wouldn't chase after it, risk my life for this child. I love this child. There's nothing this child could do to make me love this child any less. I love Gabriel. And then it switched. He realized that's the love of God for him. And he wrote this song. Let's stand. Let's sing it together.